Now, as I explained to you, Isaiah chapters 13 and 14 form a unit. Uh, it is a unit that focuses on uh, Babylon and the Lord's deliverance of his people from Babylon. And so in Isaiah chapter 13, God declares judgment against Babylon. And in chapter 14, uh, the prophet explains that judgment upon Babylon as the working out of God's compassion for his people. And if we were to keep on reading chapter 14, we would see that God's people uh, are celebrating Babylon's destruction. That said, I think if we read chapters and uh, chapters 13 and 14, we might come away from these chapters feeling, you know, this is actually quite heartless. Is that what God's people are supposed to do? Is that what the believers are supposed to do? Are we to rejoice in God's deliverance of us, which uh, in and of itself is good, but are we then to celebrate that God judges and punishes and destroys the unbelievers. Is that what we are supposed to do? Rejoice that things have gone well for us and rejoice again that things have not gone well for others. Are we to celebrate that God has saved us while he has destroyed others? Well, certainly not. That indeed is not the lesson of these two chapters. Indeed, as we will have an opportunity to consider this morning, what these two chapters are teaching us is that God is teaching us to live with humility and faith in view of the great day of judgment that is coming. And the first thing that we see here is that true power True power belongs to God. Now, at the time of Isaiah's writing, presently, Israel is no longer the powerful and glorious nation and power that it once was under David. Since then, Israel has sinned against the Lord, and with it, they have brought ruin and destruction upon themselves. So presently, Israel is a vulnerable nation caught it in between the, the imperial ambitions of Assyria and Babylon to the north and Egypt to their south. It is a small and an insignificant nation that is constantly uh, under threat from these superpowers that are surrounding her. And now for the moment, Assyria is... Israel's greatest threat. But you notice how this passage, these chapters are addressed to Babylon, even though at the present moment, Assyria is Israel's most imminent and immediate danger. And the reason is, uh, soon after, in less than a hundred years, Babylon will conquer Assyria and swallow up Judah as well. That is to say, Judah's future is very bleak. If Israel could not withstand Assyria, what hope does Judah have against the kingdom that conquered Assyria? There is no hope. There is no hope for Judah against the coming onslaught 
of the Babylonians. That is to say, there is no earthly power that can stand up to Babylon. Assyria will not be able to withstand Babylon, and certainly Judah will not be able to withstand Babylon. But these two chapters tell us something really important. History, history is not written by the nation with the greatest military, and history is not written by kings with the most daring ambition. God is the Lord of history, and all things happen according to His purpose. And so God, it is God who will bring the Babylonians against Judah. And He will bring the Babylonians against Judah in order to execute His wrath against Judah's covenant breaking. And yet, even so, God is still on His people's side. And that is something that we often forget. Increasingly, we are living in an age where to be a Christian means we are finding ourselves in a shrinking minority. And that's certainly what it feels like. But what we need to remember is that even if the whole world be against God, and even if the whole world is against God's people, if God be on our side, then that is enough. Thus, uh, chapter 13's judgment against Babylon and chapter 14's celebration humble Babylon's arrogant boasting. You see, Babylon in its power, in its success, thinks that Babylon's will be done. It thinks that not, nothing and no one can stop its ambition, its plans, and its desires. But Isaiah reminds us here that it is God's will, not Babylon's will, that will be done. That is to say, even the greatest superpower nation cannot do anything against God's purpose. And so we hear God declaring the oracle concerning Babylon. And a few verses later, we read, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Now what often happens in the Old Testament prophets, and it's what we see here too, is that Isaiah lumps together what God intends to do with Babylon in the near future, and he lumps that together with what God intends to do in the distant future. And of course, when he says, well, for the day of the Lord is near. Day of the Lord, that's an Old Testament key phrase that uh, signals, that points to the final ultimate judgment at the end of history. And so on the one hand, Isaiah is declaring what God intends to do, intends to do with uh, Babylon in the very near future. But he seamlessly weaves that into what God intends to do with Babylon on the day of final judgment. And the point is this. The present Babylon, the Babylon that Isaiah knew during his lifetime, it is, a, it is an empire, it is a kingdom that arrogantly oppresses God's people. And God 
will deal with them swiftly. And though it was God's purpose that brought the Babylonians against Judah, yet it did not please him to see Babylon acting with cruelty and violence against his people. And so God will deal with them and he will deal with them swiftly. But at the same time, Babylon is also symbolic of all earthly kingdoms that boast in their own power and their resources. And in the day of the Lord, God will bring all Babylons of the world to an utter ruin on the great day of judgment. And this is what God's people needed to remember as they faced an impossible future, a bleak future without hope. True power belongs to God today and forever. The Lord God, He is the Lord of history. Not even the greatest superpower of the world can withstand His purpose. True power belongs to God. Secondly, we see that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of compassion. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of compassion. Now, when we turn to chapter 14, we see what exactly is driving God to show himself powerful against Babylon. Chapter 14, verse 1. For the Lord will have compassion on Judah. Once again, God brings the Babylonians as an instrument of his uh, discipline, chastisement, and judgment against Judah's covenant breaking. And yet, he brought the Babylonians against Judah, not in order to destroy Judah, but in order to discipline and to reform them. You see, God was working to establish Judah in holiness, to grow them in, uh, in true devotion. And I think sometimes we, we forget, but we need to remember this, that, that the pursuit of holiness can be so crushing when it is done harshly and when it is done merely to bring behavior under control. And when, when we pursue holiness uh, in that way, what we end up doing, what we end up telling ourselves and others is something like, you better do this, you better not do this, or you will be punished. Do this, don't do this, you should be very afraid of God. That's what pursuit of holiness looks like when it is done merely for the sake of changing behavior. And it is that kind of a pursuit of holiness that is very harsh, and it is that kind of a pursuit of holiness that crushes souls. But God, God pursues holiness for His people with compassion. He makes His people holy by showing them his tender heart. That's how God stirs up his people to holiness. And that is why uh, in the Old Testament, God did not merely give his people the law, but with the law, he gave them the sacrifices. Uh, 
The sacrifices that, that takes their sins away, the sacrifice that restores their relationship with God, the feast in which God's people come and rejoice in His presence. God was always showing His people more than simply, I am holy, you must do this, you must not do that. But it was always, I love you, I cherish you, you are my child, and so become like me. That is why in the Old Testament, God did not merely give the law, but the sacrifices, the feasts. And of course, God did not merely give the prophets who came and declared how far God's people fell from keeping the covenant. But he also sent a redeemer to atone for their failings, to bring them back into God's covenant grace. And that tells us something about God's kingdom. Earthly empires, whether it be an ancient empire like Babylon, Assyria, or more modern empires like the Roman Empire, or our nation today, Earthly empires and earthly kingdoms, earthly governments are driven by ambition for power and control. But God, God builds his kingdom upon compassion. And it is that compassion that promises Judah that God will make their oppressors powerless and God will make the Babylons to be nothing. Instead, Chapter 14, verse 2, they will take captive those who are their captors and rule over those who oppress them. Now, if you read that verse in isolation, and if you forget everything that is going on in chapters 13 and 14, when you hear the Lord say, they will, God's people will take captives those who are their captors and rule over those who oppress them. Taken in isolation, it sounds as though God means to reverse the fortunes of his people so that they can now oppress their former oppressors, so that they can now make slaves out of their former enslavers. But that is actually not what is going on here. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. When God shows compassion to his people, Sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. You see, when God sets things right, his people will not become the oppressors of sojourners, strangers. His people will not be enslavers of even those who have caused them grief and pain. Rather, when God shows compassion to his people, Sojourners, strangers, and even former foes and enemies will be welcomed into God's house and they will be numbered among God's people. And that is why, as we keep on reading in chapter 14, the Lord says on the day that he delivers his people that they will taunt Babylon but that is actually not a permission for believers to be gleeful at the judgment coming upon unbelievers. This is not teaching us that 
God's people should rejoice that we are saved and rejoice that others are condemned and lost forever. Rather, when God teaches his people to rejoice and and take up this taunt against Babylon, it is actually a clarion call to courage. And God is teaching his people, do not cower before earthly powers. Remember, even the greatest superpowers on earth will perish because the Lord will bring them to nothing. And one day, God will establish his kingdom of grace and compassion. And that is why when we read the Old Testament prophets, and Isaiah included, all Old Testament prophets proclaim on the one hand the ultimate and utter destruction of Gentile kingdoms on the one hand, and at the same time, all the Old Testament prophets proclaimed, Isaiah included, they proclaim hope for the Gentiles. They proclaim the promise that one day even the Gentiles will be counted as God's people. That is to say, when God teaches his people to take up this taunt against Babylon, he is reminding them, he is encouraging them, do not be afraid of earthly powers, for one day I will make them to be nothing. I will show you compassion, I will restore you and I will build my kingdom, and on that day, strangers, sojourners, aliens, even your former foes and enemies will join you and will be numbered as my own. God's kingdom is founded on compassion, and his people are shaped by the same compassion. In other words, we must never be self-satisfied that we are saved, that we know Jesus, and gleefully celebrate and rejoice that others face God's judgment. No, we, if we are part of God's compassionate kingdom, then we want people to know God's compassion. We labor for God's compassion to be proclaimed. We labor for God's mercy and forgiveness to be proclaimed. Thirdly and finally, seeing the future in the present. We see the future in the present. Now once again, notice how Isaiah's rebuke against the present Babylon of his day seamlessly flows into his uh, rebuke against all powers uh, cast in the mold of Babylon. Because you see, then as now, it's written in the heart of sinful and rebellious man to boast in himself, to take comfort in his own power, to rely on his own resources. It is Unfortunately, the very makeup of our fallen heart, that men, mankind, we arrogantly think that we make the world go around and we think that we move history to its destiny. So ancient Babylon and its kings thought, 
And even today, many people continue to believe that. What does the Lord say? He says, you cannot be more wrong. Because God is the Lord of the present and the future. And it is God who is moving history toward his goal. That is why as Isaiah sees the fearful events of his day, the impending judgment that God will bring upon Babylon, that is but the same a part of the same thread that leads to God's ultimate and final judgment against all Babylons of the world. So Isaiah knows that his present is part of the ultimate future. What God is doing for the moment is what God will continue to do in the future. And the signs of God's wrath and judgment he sees around himself, the violence, the cruelty, he knows that it is the same judgment that will come to its full fruition on the day that God judges the world. That is to say, the present and the future are one because God is the Lord of history. God is the Lord of today and tomorrow and throughout all days until the day of judgment. And that should be our mindset also. And that means this. Our faith in Christ today is faith in Christ who will save us from the final judgment. What we do today, what we are today, will continue on until the day of judgment. Our trusting Him today will be vindicated in eternity. And faithfulness to God today will reap eternal reward. And the question to ask is, do you see your present in light of the final day? Do you see your present in, in light of the final day of the Lord? Because the opposite is also true. Uh, unbelief today will be the final destiny. Pride before God today will be eternal humiliation and shame. Today, today is the time to turn. Today is the time to begin a new life. And you may turn to Him today with confidence. God is compassionate. He will not reject anyone who humbly comes to Him. Anyone who draws near God and says, God, I have nothing to offer you but the history of my failings and sin. Anyone who comes to God and says, God, I have nothing to boast of except what Jesus has accomplished for me. Anyone who comes to God and says, I have nothing except what I can receive from you. That person 
God will never refuse, and that person God will never reject. And so, loved ones, let me end with this. Today is the day that decides your eternity. Are you on the path that leads to praise and life? May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Now please join me as we pray together. Father God, we humbly come to you once again and we acknowledge you to be the Lord of history and the God of holy and righteous judgment. And we thank you that we have been called into Jesus in whom we have received forgiveness, grace, and hope. And we pray that we would continue to live our days here in view of the glorious judgment day. For on that day you will vindicate your righteousness. On that day you will vindicate our faith. And on that day you will richly reward us. So help us, Lord, to live this day today in view of eternity and help us to do all things today in view of our end. And so may we give up unto you our moments and our days that throughout our lives you may be honored and glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.